0: We celebrate lots of things, don't we? Birthdays, anniversaries, winning the grand final at sport, finishing school for the year. We might celebrate getting a promotion at work or having a new baby. I can remember being down at Circular Quay in Sydney on the 31st of December 1999, celebrating the end of the year and bringing in a new millennium. There were thousands and thousands of people there, a spectacular fireworks display. Almost as good as the one we had here last night. That was without doubt one of the biggest celebrations I've been a part of. Uh, There are lots of things we celebrate, aren't there? In Luke chapter 15, we get to find out what God reckons is worth celebrating. Over and over again in this chapter, we see that God celebrates when even just one sinner repents and comes into his kingdom through Jesus. This chapter shows clearly that God has a real heart for the lost. He loves sinners, and he celebrates joyfully when even just one sinner is saved. I wonder if you reckon that's worth celebrating, because by the end of this chapter, Jesus will challenge the Pharisees, and he'll challenge us as well, to think about whether we really have a heart for sinners like God does. So let's have a look. Last week ended, you might remember, with Jesus saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This week begins with tax collectors and sinners gathering around so as to hear Jesus. But have a look at how the Pharisees and teachers of the law respond, verse 1. Now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, Oh, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they can't believe that Jesus would welcome sinners. And so they just watch on and they mutter their disapproval. All of which really shows that their hearts are out of step with God's heart. They don't have a heart for the lost like God does. They are far from him. And so Jesus goes on to tell them three parables all about the fact that God rejoices when sinners are saved. The first parable is about a lost sheep. So let's have a look. We'll pick it up from verse 3. Listen as I read and imagine how the Pharisees would have been feeling As they listen to Jesus tell this parable. So, verse 3 Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The Pharisees would have absolutely hated that because essentially Jesus is saying that the way that that shepherd felt about finding his lost sheep, overjoyed, that's how God feels when even just one sinner repents and comes to him through Jesus. So excited is God when that happens that he wants to throw an elaborate celebration And the Pharisees would have hated to hear that because they're not at all on board with God's plans. They can't stand sinners and tax collectors. Remember what they were doing in verse 2? They grumbled and complained and whinged and moaned about Jesus welcoming sinners. But in this parable, Jesus clearly says, God loves sinners. He has a real heart for the lost. In fact, Jesus is really saying to the Pharisees, God is more delighted in just one tax collector who repents than in all you supposedly righteous people. Man, that would have got up their noses, wouldn't it? But he isn't done yet. Jesus goes on to tell them a second parable, all about a lost coin. And this parable really just rams home the same point. God rejoices when a sinner repents, because he has a real heart for sinners. Have a look at verse 8. Well, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now far out that would have annoyed the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, if we rejoice when we find the lost coin, how much more does God rejoice when a sinner... A lost human being repents and comes into his kingdom. In these two parables, Jesus just keeps on making the point that God loves saving lost people. He loves saving sinners. He has a real heart for the lost. He rejoices and he celebrates when sinners come into his kingdom. And that would have really got up the nose of the Pharisees because they don't have a heart for sinners at all. They can't stand the fact that Jesus is even talking to sinners. Now if Jesus is getting under their skin in these first two parables, wait till you hear the third one. Because this third parable about a father and his two different sons, it has a real sting in the tail, a real kick for the Pharisees. Have a look at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So this parable is about a father and his two different sons. The father in this parable, he represents God. The older son, we'll find out later in the parable, he represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But the younger son, he represents the tax collectors and sinners. People whose sins are obvious. People who are clearly far away from God. And you can see that because of how he treated his father. He asked his father, give me my share of the estate. Basically, he wants his father's money, but he wants nothing to do with his father. And as we read on into verse 13, we find out that not long after he got uh, his share of the estate, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And then verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. So this guy has lost everything, right? He has no money. He's distanced himself from his family. He's in a far-off Gentile country and he's feeding pigs for a living. And what's more, he actually wants to eat the pigs' food because he's so hungry but no one gives him anything. Safe to say he probably couldn't fall much lower. And it's when he's reached the pits that he finally wakes up to himself. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Eventually this guy realises how far he's fallen. He realises how desperate his situation is. He realises how badly he's treated his father. And so he decides to humble himself even further if that's possible and ask his father to accept him back as a hired servant. And it's not too hard, is it, to see how the younger son in this parable really represents the tax collectors and sinners from verse 1. Like the younger son, the tax collectors and sinners, they had wandered far away from God. After all, they're described as sinners. For so long they have been ignoring God, rejecting him, disobeying him, rebelling against him. They are obviously far away from God. But eventually the younger son came to his senses and he humbled himself. He repented. In the same way, the sinners and tax collectors, they seem to be repenting, don't they? Remember what we read back in verse 1? They, they were humbly coming to Jesus to hear him so as to be made right with God. But back in the parable, the question really now is how will the father react? Is this a case of too little too late from the younger son? It's all well and good for him to head off home, but it's all for nothing if the father won't even accept him back. Well, as Jesus continues with the story, there's actually no ambiguity or suspense at all. We're not left wondering. There's no question. The father welcomes his son back literally with open arms. Look at verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You kind of get the impression that the father's been... Watching for his son since he left, don't you? Just waiting for him to come home. The father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father here, he's overcome with joy. He doesn't care how silly he might look. He just runs to his son and he embraces him and he starts kissing him. The boy tries to give the apology he planned, but before he can really start, his father interrupts him with an extravagant welcome. Verse 22. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, killing the fattened calf, that was an extreme extravagance. But this is like a -a once-in-a-lifetime celebration. His son was dead in rebellion, and now he's been restored to life. Now, the way the son treated his father, it was shameful. It was scandalous. It was an awful way to treat his father. And you couldn't really blame the father if he responded to his son with suspicion and distance when he returned. But there's not even a hint of that here, is there? He responds with unbridled joy. His love is lavish and unrestrained and extravagant and genuine. There is no question at all of the boy returning as a servant. He's a son. And can you see the point Jesus is making in this parable? God rejoices. He celebrates when sinners repent and come to him through Jesus. He welcomes them unreservedly, lavishly, extravagantly. In fact, when sinners come to him through Jesus, God is as excited as a shepherd finding his lost sheep or as a woman finding her lost coin or even as excited as a father who has his lost son back home safe and sound again. All three of these parables really are showing us something of God's heart. He really loves sinners. He has a real heart for the lost. But that's not actually the end of this parable. There's still a bit to go. And it's at the tail end here of the parable that the sting really comes for the Pharisees. So let's have a look. In verse 25, we find out that while all this has been happening, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And have a look at how the older son responds to that news in verse 28. At this, the older brother became angry And refused to go in. I wonder what you think about that response. Because you might be tempted to think that actually this guy's got a case. It doesn't seem fair, does it? His obedience and loyalty have never been rewarded. And now his irresponsible brother comes back and the father rolls out the red carpet. But if you are at all tempted to side with the older brother, remember what we've seen over and over again in this chapter. God has a heart for sinners. He rejoices when they come to him through Jesus. He welcomes them unreservedly. If you reckon the older son is justified in being angry, then you're actually out of step with God at that point. Because this brother, he was lost and he's found. He was dead and he's alive again. We're not meant to side with the older brother who felt angry about that. We're meant to feel the same kind of joy the father felt when his son comes back. If you reckon the older son's got a point, if you think he's justified in his anger, then you're actually siding with the Pharisees at that point. And that's not a good place to be. Because this parable ends with a surprising reversal. The younger son, whose behaviour was disgusting... Who was obviously far away from his father, by the end of the parable, he ends up inside, celebrating his relationship with his dad. But the older son, who was always with the father, who served him obediently, who seemed to be a model son, by the end of the parable, tragically, he's on the outside. And he refuses to go in. All of a sudden, he's now estranged from the father. Now remember the older son in the parable, he really represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law from verse 1. And they're grumbling and they're muttering and they're complaining about sinners being welcomed by Jesus. It just shows that they are out of step with God. Their hearts are far from him. Now wonderfully, the father's love for his younger son, it is matched by his patience for his suddenly lost older son. In verse 28, we're told that his father went out and pleaded with him. The father pleaded with his oldest son to come in and join the celebration. That's what we've been seeing over the last few weeks, isn't it? Jesus has been pleading with Israel. He's been pleading with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to repent, to acknowledge him as their king, to come in and join the celebration in the kingdom of God. And that's how the parable ends. The father pleading with his son to come in. We're left hanging. What will the older son do now? Will he come in? We're not told. And I actually wonder whether that's deliberate so as to get us, the readers of this parable, to reflect on the proper response. If you were in the older son's shoes, what would you do? Would you go inside? Would you want to go in and join your father? Would you... Could you possibly share in your father's joy when your scumbag brother returns? What's the right way to respond to these parables? You know, the way this parable ends, it's really a challenge from Jesus to the Pharisees. He wants them to respond rightly. He wants them to reflect on whether their hearts are like God's heart. And sadly, from everything we've seen so far in Luke, their hearts are not like God's heart. They grumble and they complain and they whinge and moan about how unfair it is that Jesus welcomes sinners. How could he possibly forgive them? But you know, these parables, they're not just a challenge to the Pharisees, they're also a challenge to us to respond rightly. They're a challenge to us to reflect on whether our hearts are like God's heart. So do you reckon you have a heart for the lost and for sinners like God does? Seriously, are you genuinely excited about people coming to know Jesus? Are you excited when people come and join us here at church? Or actually, do you find yourself grumbling and complaining because it's all just getting too big and you can't possibly know everyone? We shouldn't be grumbling and complaining. If we have our hearts like God's, we should be joyfully welcoming people in. What about when new people come along to growth group? Do you rejoice when that happens? Do you want to celebrate? Would you actually find it a bit inconvenient because now you have less time to spend with your friends? Because let's be honest, church and growth group, they are much more comfortable if we just have the same people we already know, people who know our issues and our struggles. Having more people come in, especially having new people come in, that makes things a bit uncomfortable. That means having less time for each other. It'll maybe mean being a bit less deep, a bit less real for a while, but can you see that if we mutter and grumble and complain about those things, then we're actually no better than the Pharisees? And their hearts were far from God. Like the older son, they were left out of the celebration with the father. Having a heart like God's, that'll mean rejoicing. That'll mean celebrating when people come in. It'll mean welcoming them. It'll mean including them joyfully, unreservedly, extravagantly. Now, I don't know what you think about all that. Maybe it all seems a bit too much. Maybe you feel like you're just being swamped by life. Maybe you feel like it's hard enough keeping your own head above, above water, let alone having time to reach out to sinners and to welcome other people in. And if you feel at all like that, what Jesus is saying in these parables, it's a good reminder to us of what our God is like and what it is that he is on about and so what we should be on about. Because as a church, we should be on about what God is on about. And God has a heart for sinners. He rejoices, he celebrates when even just one sinner repents and comes to him through Jesus. That's what God's on about. That's what we should be on about. That's what we should be excited about. That's what we should celebrate. And if the things of life are crowding that out for us, if we've lost our focus on growing followers of Christ Jesus, if we don't rejoice when people join us, then we've lost the heartbeat of God. And if that's the case, then we need this wake-up call maybe as much as the Pharisees did. Because, you know, friends, it's true, isn't it? We were all like the younger son once. We were all far away from the Father. Lost. But by the grace of God, we've been welcomed in through Jesus to celebrate with the Father. Let's not lose the excitement and the joy that comes with that. Let's not get weary and tired and bitter like the older son. And let's not just rejoice over God's generosity to us. Let's rejoice over God's generosity to anyone who comes in. What we've seen over the last five weeks in Luke is, and what we've seen especially today, is that God has a heart for the lost. He loves sinners. He really wants them to be in his kingdom. That's great news for us. And even when just one sinner repents and comes to him through Jesus, then God is overjoyed. He throws an extravagant celebration. And he's inviting us to have the same heart as him. So I wonder how you're going to respond to these parables. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much That in Christ, because of Jesus, through Jesus, you have welcomed us in. That you welcome us with open arms, unreservedly, to come in and join that great celebration in your kingdom. And so, Father, because we have been welcomed like that by you, please help us to welcome in sinners. To welcome in the lost to be part of us, to to welcome them unreservedly and with joy, to celebrate when even one sinner repents and comes to you through Jesus. Father, help us to have a heart like yours. Thank you that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We pray these things in his name. Amen.